Welcome to If This Bar Could Talk, a podcast about bartenders and the stories they have to tell. We'll learn about their creative process, their favorite cocktails, as well as the storied history of cocktails, spirits, and bars. I'm your host, Leanne Sims, along with my partner in crime, Blair Beavers, and producer Greg Hansberry. Our guests tonight are part of a crew at Denmark on High, a modern Euro-style cocktail venue in the Short North Arts District of Columbus, Ohio, offering dynamic cocktails and exquisite small plates. Gary White and Francisco Ludica, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you so, so much. So, um, you guys, I said you're part of a crew because you have a large crew. How many How many people do you have at I don't know. Denmark? I mean, there's eight, nine of us. I don't know how large that is. but How many are bartenders? Pretty much all of them. All of them. That's yeah, I mean, we, we have a little subtle designation. Some people kind of end up specializing more in cocktailing. But I mean, really, we primarily sell drinks, so everybody gets a little bit of mixology or their hands in the cocktail glass a little bit. Well, that's a great thing about Denmark on High. If you haven't been there, get over there, first of all. But second of all, it doesn't matter who is behind the bar. You're always going to get a consistently good cocktail um but let's start with you gary because you're the heart and soul of denmark um you started denmark correct Mm -hmm. yep it Um, is my uh my 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 little baby your baby um when did it start uh march of 2014 so we're coming on five years wow so just a little under right now after the first of the year we'll be five years old okay and you are also known as el gato yes how did that start that is yeah, a couple of different things came together all at the same time. Number one, I have a, a love of cats, really all animals. Um, I own or have a l- large collection of animals at my house, including chickens. But anyway, that's another story. Um, <clears throat> I had love of cats. I worked in a kitchen that mostly had uh, Hispan- a Hispanic staff. Um, my last name is White. They got to calling me the White Tiger. That eventually got shortened into the cat the name kind of stuck at the same time I was doing a lot of DJing around and uh, happened to do a lot of like scratching so the name Elgato just kind of fit with my music persona that I was developing at the time so I started performing music under that name <laughs> oh, um, yeah. so then I just kind of continued that once I started that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing so the many layers of, yeah, so of like Elgato the, yeah. so I did not know that I knew that you you're a trained chef yes you are a wonderful artist. Well, thank you. And now mm-hmm. I know that you are also a DJ. I spent my entire morning making beats and scratching around. Yeah, I'm working <laughs> on a new album as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always, you know, I like to make things. I've always kind of considered myself a maker. So um, I've always had my fingers in some, all kinds of forms of creativity. Um, it's been my kind of personal desire for from as long as I can remember to find a way to be able to support myself through my creativity. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to find Denmark um, or, you know, come across this great project that enables me to use a lot of my different um, interests and kind of pull them in together into a cohesive whole. So, yeah. Wow. And, and so uh, Denmark on high, it, it, 
it really is a reflection of your creativity, um, your your abilities and your knowledge as a chef um, certainly lend itself to the fabulous cocktail menu that you have, mm-hmm. which if, if you haven't been there, um, everything in red, highlighted in red, which is a good part of the menu, is house-made stuff. So you're like sous-viding stuff yeah. and just you're you're truly a farm to glass cocktail bar well yeah i mean we, we try to be i kind of you know when i stepped back behind the bar after being a chef for years i just kind of started i had this idea that you know everything if everything was laden in prep and you could get all these different flavors through all these different techniques and i was learning a lot about canning and jarring and making my own bitters and those kind of stuff and really making bitters and mason jars is what initially interested me in the cocktail world and uh so once i figured out that i could make my own bitters i was hooked and then i started figuring out how quickly i could manipulate uh, flavors by just adding little drops of stuff and then i started tinkering around with cocktails that was probably about eight or nine years ago how does one make bitters well um it's just uh, an infusion that is a high proof liquor of some kind. It can be any different base. The higher the proof, the better. You're basically trying to get flavors out of stuff. Um, but you use bittering agents primarily. So a lot of roots, barks, and those kind of things end up being the bittering ingredients. And then other kind of herbs and different things along those nature are added to um, add to the flavor. Um, what we do is put all of those things together inside of a mason jar, high proof liquor, seal that off, put it into a sous vide at 135 uh, degrees for about two hours. Um, that drastically um, reduces the amount of time that the infusion takes. A uh, uh, normal infusion is about a month to two months. A lot of times bitters can be up to six weeks or even two months that you kind of let those items steep in there. Um, because of the even heat that sous vide provides, you're able to kind of turn those around really quickly. And that's one of the secrets that we have at Denmark is using that technique We've been able to have all of those items that are written in red because we don't have to think a month or two months out in production of them. Mm-hmm. We can think a day out in production of them, which makes it a lot easier to have about. Sure. So, Francisco. Yes. How did you get to Denmark on high? Uh, I got to Denmark on high in kind of a not a super roundabout way. I was really into cocktails, um, and I wanted to try my hand at uh, – basically having a, a place where I'd be incentivized. Well, wanted to try my hand at the actual business of bartending. So actually being behind the bar and having to, you know, make a drink uh, with a modicum of speed, um, precision, and then um, to see that side of it. And then also be incentivized to develop cocktails and work on stuff. Uh, something that I'd think that as a, like a home aficionado or bartender, like you're not really incentivized to kind of burn up your supply by infusions that may or may not work. So um, I'd kind of gotten to a place where I'd worked my way through a couple cocktail books, PDT and Death and Company, and I kind of made every drink in those books that I felt could feasibly be made with something that was available in state or with something that if I made a batch of it, you know, it's in several recipes as opposed to just one or two. And um, I figured I'd love to maybe try my hand at making drinks like this and then learning the industry. And um, so I kind of went around to a couple spots that I, I thought might uh, fit. Denmark was one of them. Gary was nice enough to give me a, a stage and I started bar backing, which is kind of where I wanted to start. Cause I think you always want to start from the, the ground up. You don't want to skip any steps. And, uh, 
bar back for a while, worked on drinks, and uh, you know now I'm bartending. So. so somebody told me that you're actually an attorney. Yeah, I'm a lawyer. Okay, so so you're an, you're an attorney. Are you are you still practicing yeah, as an attorney? I'm a practicing full time attorney. I'm a public defender. That's kind of like a superhero gig, right? <laughs> I don't know about that, but I think it is uh, maybe like an alter ego. I mean, it's something that I think I think Gary hit it on the head. Uh, there's an enormous amount of creativity that you can put into a drink. There's an enormous amount of exploration you can put into a drink, uh, whether it's like a, a culture, a theme, an homage. You can do all kinds of stuff like that with drinks. And I think that um, in the law, I think there's not a lot of creativity um, you're a little bit restrained. You're a little bit hamstrung with what the state of the law is. Because they're laws. Right, right. <laughs> and I think also, um, uh, I guess the, a good way I like to put it is is um, you have a lot of control over a cocktail. Um, you can really control the, the product that you put in front of someone. Um, I think as an attorney, uh, there's a lot of control that you have to cede to a judge to the case that you're in front of, to your client. Uh, there's a lot of variables that are things you can't control no matter how hard you try. Whereas ultimately in a cocktail, I mean, um, you know, if you put it on that cheat sheet that you want two drops of something, then, you know, most every bartender in Denmark is going to put two drops of something into that and stir it up and it's going to be what you want it to be. So, so cool. that's, do you feel privileged that you have a guy like this coming to you saying, "Hey, would you can yeah, I be yeah. your bar back?" I mean, that's amazing. It it, it, it was it was kind of a uh, an interesting situation for me in that one of the things that we fight um, in my profession of being a bartender is you know being a, you know a, having calling a real job or having a real job, and here's someone that has the definition of what a real job is. It's like I want to come over there and see what's going on with your team. So, yeah, of course I was intrigued. But from knowing Francisco and knowing his palate and um, his creativity as far as cocktails, he seemed like a really kind of natural fit. Um, and when he came on, he immediately brought this whole other knowledge of um, particularly like South American and, you know, more Southern kind of um, a flavor profile that I just didn't have access to before. Um, so I always appreciate someone that I can learn something off of uh, as well. Um, we try to kind of, you know, I, that's kind of the environment that we've tried to, um, or I've tried to cultivate at Denmark is this kind of team mentality that it's almost like a group think tank where we all have an idea and, you know, we all have different interests and we're kind of all, you know, going down different paths slightly, but we all end up learning from each other in the process. And I think that's one of the things that makes our menu so kind of interesting and unique is it's not really one person putting it together it is a combination and over the last probably three years particularly i've taken more and more of a step back just because there's so many other great ideas that are coming to the table francisco i recall um i think it was last summer you were playing with a cocktail and <laughs> you had a piece of sage and you found a like a, a, a paper hole puncher yeah. in the shape of a bird, and right. so you punched out a bird shape in the sage and laid it on top of a block of ice. I mean, where do you where did that even come from? That was from? one of the coolest garnishes. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was that was huge garnish game, but it was also I love how all of your staff worries about the names and the titles for their drinks and that one was three little birds right referencing bob marley correct yep so yeah that was um uh i was kind of i'm not the biggest tiki fan like they're not like there's you know like there's a couple tiki drinks i really love but one of them is the jungle bird 
and uh yeah so i was i'd kind of wanted to do a a jungle bird riff i knew i wanted to do the pineapple campari because i'd seen that previously in a in a drink and um and I, I thought three little birds, you know, like an homage to, to Bob Marley, who along with Bob Dylan was like just one of my favorite artists growing up. And um, so there's three little birds that could do three Jamaican rums, uh, working into a jungle bird riff. And then, yeah, so, you know, a little bird on the on the sage. That was a stamp and just a couple trips to a couple different Michaels and, and found a bird stamp and uh, kind of broke it open and put it back together so it was big enough to do a leaf and we had a pretty cool garnish that uh that was yeah it was a pretty cool garnish and it was a it had guava juice instead of the pineapple juice too so it was a really nice pink color with the green which yes, was, the was, was really yeah it was great. a nice contrast. and a tasty cocktail it was thank you <laughs> yeah it was it's always fun for me to kind of watch those ideas develop because i mean once we start a menu we change it seasonally so once we start a menu we immediately start talking about hey these are the drinks that i'm working on for the next menu um, and we'll kick it around the think tank. And I periodically, you know, kind of touch base with everybody and, you know, get an update as to what they're thinking and where they're going out. I'm like, hey, did you think about this? Or maybe we could do it this way. Uh, but just watching um, the wheels turn on several other people at the same time and then watching this kind of, you know, culmination of the Denmark menu, which is like 20 house original cocktails that we're flipping every couple of months, is really cool to watch. It's really one of the greatest things that I've... I've ever kind of been a part of. I, I really, I really enjoy it. So you actually have a cocktail think tank at Denmark. I kind of, that's how I, that's how I look at it. Yeah. So how you have so many people that are so creative, how do you decide which cocktails go on the menu and which don't? We early on in the process, we'll look at, Hey, I need two gin cocktails. Um, and these are kind of the flavors that are in the season. So, you know, you have kind of a, a rough map to what you're looking for. Um, we always try to bring back a couple from past menus or things that people recognize. We have a couple of past favorites that always go back to menus. Like the black and blue Manhattan. Exactly. That one just <laughs> stays on at this point. I took it off at one point and it just got requested all of the time. It's kind of become our flagship cocktail. It's I my did, favorite. I did bring the black and blue Manhattan for us to taste today. Awesome. I brought four cocktails for us. So. Great. Because um, <laughs> everybody needs four cocktails. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. Uh, but yeah, so we... Uh, when I start looking at one of the menus, that's the first thing I do is kind of plug in those old favorites, you know, look at that. And then we'll start looking at the overall palette of, hey, you know, you need to have a certain amount of drinks that are presented up and a certain amount that are on the rocks and something that's interesting and off the beaten path and something that's for the more advanced cocktail drinker and something for the person that just comes in and, you know, typically wants, you know, a, a really simple drink. Like, a, you know, so you try to look at... Um, an overall kind of crowd-pleasing set of things. Now, when we have 18 to 20 cocktails on a menu, it makes it a little bit easier because we've got so many different variations kind of going on. But um, making sure that you have kind of that range of different flavors and profiles and spirits and sub-mixers going on uh, becomes interesting. And as we're developing these things, we'll start looking at, hey, how can I make this spirit? Or how can I infuse this spirit with something? And how can I make this as ours as possible? Um, I'm a big believer in that, you know, you can, once you set up those flavors, you can't recreate a Denmark cocktail unless you go through 
20 steps a lot of times. And there's a lot of it's prep background stuff that we've kind of set up between a different bitter, syrup, um, flavor of Asian of some kind. And I like that. Um, I don't want, you know, just to be able to go and rep. You know, I want to have something unique that you haven't came across before, some different uh combination of flavors that you wouldn't be able to get someplace and having so many house done things that allows us the ability to do that sure so francisco um now that you're working at denmark do you still create at home or is is uh denmark now your canvas yeah no i mean i'm working on drinks for denmark so if i'm looking in a book i'm it's kind of weird because i think gary hit it on the head like i was always drawn to the cocktails that had that shrub or that infusion or that syrup uh because it was a way to learn stuff for me right you know so you go to the back of the book and they've got the guidelines on how to do it and you're like oh like tea infuses really fast but you know fruit doesn't that kind of thing so i was always when i was doing it at home i was always like oh it'd be great to have a batch of this that or the other now i'm kind of like you know i like a pull off the shelf cocktail at home with maybe a couple things that i keep around um like syrups and stuff. But yeah, no, I mean, definitely, like if I'm working on, on something that takes a lot of steps or I'm experimenting with a fruit or a vegetable or a flavor profile of some kind, it's usually uh, aimed at a drink that is, is coming up. And, uh, and sometimes it, it takes a while. Sometimes, yeah, I'm working on something that won't make a menu for six months because it needs a lot of work. Yeah. So, so what do you want to make first first? Well, um, I actually would like to... Uh, try one of Cisco's drink, uh, the drink that he's working on for this next menu. We're still roughing out the name on it. Um, I'll, I'll let you talk about it. Yeah, ahead. so I've been trying to do a last, this last word's one of my favorite cocktails. I've been trying to do a last word cocktail that was faithful to the equal proportions for a while. And uh, it, it, I mean, probably I tried to do it when I first got to Denmark and it just was not working out for me. Uh, it's hard to get a lot of balance with that. But we needed a tequila drink and um, last words from Detroit. So I thought Frida Kahlo, because Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera spent some time in Detroit. And um, so I wanted to do kind of an homage to Frida Kahlo and like Mexico and those flavors. So I landed on a drink that works and uh, we don't have a name for it yet. I mean, I think we've got like something close. I think we've got like Palabra de Kahlo. I like, I like, which means like uh, Kahlo's word. Um, And it sounds sexy. Yeah. And thank you. And uh, so I think, and so it's equal parts of uh, grapefruit juice. Ancho Reyes Red, uh, Rum Clement Creole Shrub, and then uh, the Denmark Touch is we did a uh, cacao nib cinnamon infused uh, mezcal. So, wow. And then we're going to do, we do a kind of a, a sugar cinnamon rim around it, which I think also grounds it a little bit in a flavor that is maybe more accessible to a lot of us, because a lot of the flavors in there, I think, are still accessible, but there's, you know, some layers. So I'll step back and yeah. Even though it's a mezcal up. drink, I mean it's it's really lovely and balanced. It, it's really great. Well, actually, so I think we're gonna take a break here and make a cocktail, cool. and uh, maybe after we taste it, we'll uh, maybe we'll name it, or maybe we'll put it out to our listeners to to maybe name it. But um, we'll take a break here, make a cocktail, and we'll be right back. Sounds, Sounds good. Good. So I'm flaming the cinnamon. It'll have a little bit of smoke, which people like. 
It draws the eye, and it should play with some of the flavors in the drink. Okay, and we're back with a, what's this called? Well, we don't know what it's called yet. So, um... I, I like I like palabra de calo. I like palabra de calo. Yeah. I can't say that. So. I always have a weird feeling when putting <laughs> Spanish in something because I never know how accessible it will be. Um, no, but that's part of the fun, though. Listening to people butcher words is oh. kind of a secret fun thing for us. <laughs> what if you were to change it to like the English and just call it Frida's last word? So we had that idea. I had Frida's final word, which I thought felt a little cryptic. Um, we had I had Frida's last sketch. Frida has a weird phonetic feel sometimes to it. So I think Kahlo was nice, but... I like the word yeah. Kahlo better for some reason. I don't know. Frida feels weird and harsh. And I thought about Kahlo's ultima palabra or Frida's ultima palabra, but then you really are like throwing a lot of Spanish. You know, when two-thirds of the title is yeah. Spanish, you're throwing a lot of people's away sometimes. That is a lot. <laughs> so cheers. Cheers, Cheers, everyone. Thank you. And we, we have clearly put a lot of time into thinking about this. <laughs> it's just like we're even we're even dissecting the title. So I love how you you put the what is this on the rim? That is a uh, cinnamon sugar rim. Okay, so you put it on the outside mm-hmm. of the rim, right? Rather than on the tip of the rim, because right. So ideally, you don't want too much. Some of it might fall in. I mean, I think that it's been. Um, I think you actually get like discussion of this in like cocktail communities and stuff is do you want a little bit in or a little bit out? Usually you want it on the outside so that uh, the person who's drinking it can choose whether they want that element of the drink or not, as opposed to putting it inside where it's going to give it more sweetness, more cinnamon that maybe isn't intended initially. That's also where we do the half rim. So it's up to you if you want it, if you don't want it. I think it's, um, uh, and you can add the flavor as you choose. And I mean, we do a lot of, uh, like I said, I think it's a nice, you know, cinnamon sugar is such a, like, it, we all know that flavor, right? right? I mean, French toast, snickerdoodles, all it's that kind of fall. stuff. So, But I think that's a nice little grounding thing for a cocktail that maybe doesn't have a super, uh, like, traditional flavor profile. I don't know, you know, is kind of where we're at with that. And a lot of thought goes into even stuff like rim. So, I mean, yet, the only reason it's a cinnamon sugar rim today is because yesterday we tried a cinnamon sugar and we tried a cinnamon cocoa sugar, and the cinnamon sugar was better. So mm. every every little thing. It was the texture. Yeah, the texture on the cocoa gives it a dryness, but so every everything kind of has its. We work through it. And so it's all about balance, right? Because I, I've never been a fan of mezcal. I don't like smoky, so I don't like scotch. But I'm learning to appreciate mezcal in, yeah. if it if it's balanced. I the um, the smokiness is kind of offset by the other. Um, spirits in the drink and it just becomes this really lovely drinkable not over overly smoky cocktail yes and i think um and i think as we get better mezcals on the market or not better but maybe beyond entry level you know that uh the the del maguey vita was is amazing i still love it i mean it's still what i have in my house but I think you get the Illegals and the Banes and the Los Perdidos and all that stuff that's not as smoky. It still has smoke, obviously, but, um, you know, tend to be a little bit more expensive and also different kinds of uh, of agave, whether it's Espadín or Tobala. And, like, yeah, I think it's really cool um, what Mezcal's doing. I think it's all over the place now, so very cool. So our podcast is called If This Bar Could Talk. And um, so we love to hear the um, the inside stories and 
and uh, your creative process, but we also like to hear the stories that you experience as bartenders. So tell me a story. It can be funny or so... Salacious. (laughs) (laughs) Just... I get a real kick out of um, pronunciations and the way that people go about things. Um, People are endlessly fascinating. It's one of the main reasons I do what I do. Um, Aside from just, you know, this fun creative stuff, um, I get to interact with some really interesting people. And you get to see people at different levels of sobriety, um, (laughs) which is weird, you know what I mean? And you kind of, you know, know, some people, you know, start off one way and end up another. So it's always kind of um, interesting to me to see um, how the public goes about stuff or this... And I really like I really like when people do funny stuff with words, uh, enunciation, and pronouncing things off the menu is something I get um, continual kick out of. We have uh, a Oaxacan wildflower on our menu right now <laughs> that can has gotten ordered a couple of times as an oxycotton wildflower. <laughs> which that is, sounds delicious. Yeah, I mean, I you know, and I I, I try not to. I, I get a kick out of it, and I kind of laugh in my head, but I try not to react. You know what I mean? You don't want to, you know. Um, they just didn't read it right or you know I mean I'm guilty of that I read the first two letters of something most of the time and assume what the rest of the word is going to be that's sure. all that they've done and I get that but uh, yeah so every now and then I'll get a smirk on my face and I had a guy ask me the other day like what is it and I'm like well <laughs> like nothing he's like oh come on tell me I'm like well we're not allowed to sell Oxycontin. We're, we're a bar. And it's, you know, we don't have that. We don't have an Oxycontin wildflower. Well, Hawken. So yeah, that that's really funny. But that one of my favorite uh, enunciation stories of all time was uh, when a, a, a group of bachelorettes came in and sat at the far side of our bar. And bachelorettes are funny. They do some crazy outlandish stuff that individually none of these ladies would ever do. But as a group, they just go go hog wild or whatever so these group of ladies came in they'd obviously we were like they're probably third and final stop of the evening and ty's trying to you know get through making them a round of drinks and they've kind of looked around and they're really wide-eyed and want and wonder about what's going on we're smoking stuff and throwing cocktails around and it's a busy saturday night and the ladies like smoking cocktails not smoking yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we have a smoke that. machine that we, we yes. thank you. That's that's a good, that's a good clarification. <laughs> you never know. Uh, so this this girl looks around and she's like, "Wow, what are you? Some kind of coctologist?" <laughs> and she tries to put together mixologist and cocktail into a word and came up with that. To this day, I have people that clock in and out as cocktologists <laughs> because it's so, so funny. funny. Um, I think I even got Ty a, maybe a business card that had that on. I know it was his official clock in title from there <laughs> on when it immediately changed it. Uh, but just hearing you know the different like funny ways that people put words together in enunciation, I, I always get a real kick out of, and just people in general. That's so funny. How yeah. about you, Francisco? Oh, it's a little different for me because I had to, you know, when... When you say you start bar backing and you learn the business, it's, you know, uh, no one goes to a bar and just wants their bartender to, like, make a drink. Because you kind of expect that. Now, sometimes you'll be surprised. But it's like learning the business of, like, like dealing with people, you know, and how people like to be dealt with. And sometimes when you're on one side of the bar, you know how you like to be dealt with. It's not the way everyone likes to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. And it's not the way you need to deal with everybody, right? Because... 
it's little things. Like, for example, like, if you order the Vucare as the Vux car, like, don't put that drink in front of that person and say, like, here's your Vucare, <laughs> you know, because it's just, it's, it's not a, it's not conducive to hospitality or having a good time. But I mean, I think it's kind of the, one of the good ones I had was actually also, uh, she was part of a bachelorette party, but it was like, you're trying to do all the right things, the kind of the things they teach you to. It's like, you know, when you get like the question, like, what's your favorite or what should I drink? You say, you know, well, uh, what do you usually drink? You know, so if they say Manhattan, well, you say black and blue. If you say mule, we've always got a mule variation, I think, that hits, you know. Or if they say something crazy, like, you know, like a jungle bird, you're like, well, my God, we've got something for that. Nobody, but, ever, nobody, ever, yeah, nobody that. ever says that, though. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, like, or old-fashioned. We'll make them a rum old-fashioned or a Oaxacan, whatever. Um, but when you're trying to do everything right and it's, it lands wrong. So I, with this young lady, I was like, well, what do you usually drink? She's like, I like it all. And she was just super offended that... Like, I was like, and I was like, okay, well, you know, like, what would you prefer to drink? And she just, you know, was not, um... Oh, I remember was, that. That went south real quick. Yeah, it went south real fast. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, I, you know, you just, you kind of, you just always meet, uh, whatever the reaction is with, like, kind of more politeness and more hospitality. And, like, eventually, you know, I think it, we got to, like, a gin tonic, which is fine. But it was one of those things where I was like, that's part of learning to be behind the bar is kind of, like... Um, what works with 99.9% of the people, like the day that we have three deep at the bar is the day that it won't work with someone. And, you know, but, um, so you get, you get that sometimes we actually have an awesome clientele. I think like almost everyone that comes to Denmark knows what they're in for. And, and I also think we go out of our way to, uh, you know, we, we have mule riffs, we have riffs on drinks that I think a lot of other, um, places don't have a riff on because it's kind of like listen if you want a mule get a mule but yeah there's good riffs to be had on a mule it's a good drink so i think that is one of the many things that sets denmark on high apart from other bars is that um you're so hospitable and and even if i come in and i don't know what i want to drink in that moment you're going to help me figure it out and i i saw somebody uh posted the other day about uh, like a list of 10 things that bartenders hate. One of them was when you stand there and you don't know what you want to order. I've been there. I mean, I'm, I'm a experienced cocktailer, but I've had those nights when I don't know exactly what I want. But if I come into Denmark and I say, I don't really know what I want, your question is going to be, well, do you want something sweet or do you want something citrusy? Or you're going to ask questions to get me to whatever and it's going to be fabulous and i i think that is so important and so appreciated well thank you very much i mean we, we we do we do try to go above and beyond um one of the kind of cornerstone uh philosophies that i've always tried to kind of instill in denmark is um something that gaz reagan um the cocktail guru uh said uh before that um and I, i'm gonna misquote him but to the extent it was um I would rather have an okay drink made by a really great person than the best drink in the world made by a total asshole. I completely agree. And I mean, I think that's the thing that we need to kind of keep to the forefront. Yeah, we would do these, you know, crazy culinary bent cocktails with these interesting presentations and these different flourishes and, you know, strange liquors and ingredients that you've never heard of that we've sourced out. But really, at the end of the day, what we're doing is putting a quality beverage in front of someone. And I think you need to be able to, you know, the hospitality side of it is being able to understand what that person is approaching your bar and wanting out of the experience. 
not the other way around. Um, and I, I think that, that that's something we really try to uh, really try to put to the forefront of how we go about things. I love that philosophy. So what what are you going to make next? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, we brought over um, a cocktail that I'm bringing back called the Purple Nurple. Purple I think Nurple. you may have yes, had this before. I, I've had it. I've retooled the Purple Nurple a little bit. Um, I originally did not like... Um, Campari is a rough spirit, right? Um, it's not like a beginner spirit. It takes a little bit of getting used to. Um, being I'm used a, to it. I love it. I know, I know, I know. I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've gotten a little bit better with it. I love Amaro's. Campari's a bit much. Um, so... You know, being in the cocktail world, I'm kind of expected to really love Campari. You know, the Negroni is a classic. It's, you know, a venerable cocktail. Um, well, I set out to make a Negroni that I liked. So I used the proportions of a Negroni. I uh, went with, a, you know, an old Tom gin. There's a little bit less of the botanicals than a London dry. And um, a little bit more residual sweetness. And then I've taken um, Dolan Blanc and infused it with Concord grapes. And mm. added to it Aperol instead of Campari really lovely cocktail i've tooled the portions around with a little time but i think you guys are really going to love it i'll make one for you all right awesome. i'm just going to add that i literally told gary last night that when i was on the other side of the bar this was one of my favorite drinks that uh, denmark ever did because i'm a huge negroni fan and i thought this was a great take on it so i can't wait all right we're going to take another quick break and when we come back we're going to have a uh, purple nurple <laughs> And we're back with the purple nurple um, with uh, two grapes as the garnish. So I can't wait to try this. It's a beautiful color. It's definitely purple. Cheers. It's mostly the uh, that uh, Dolan grape infusion. So we got Concord grapes um, and then infused them into Dolan Blanc. It's just a really, really lovely, lovely infusion. It just marries so well. And it just amps up like the great quality in that uh, wine. That's really delicious. So I noticed that you stirred this cocktail. Mm -hmm. How do you know how long to stir a cocktail? You really want to stir till something becomes completely cold. I'm kind of touching the outside of the glass as I'm going. So I'm kind of, you know, feeling with my fingers, you know, where that's at. Um, you want to, you know, proper dilution is probably anywhere between 30 to 45 seconds. And, but that also depends on how fast your stir is and how quickly you're agitating. Um, so there's a lot of different variables there. Um, yeah. So how I'm, I'm usually kind of, you know, feeling where the outside temperature of the glass is once it gets to where it's kind of cold enough or it starts frosting up to where you can take your finger down the side. Um, and it'll have that kind of condensation on the outside. It's cold enough. And how important is the ice that you use? Incredibly. Um, you know, I mean, ice is the most overlooked thing in the cocktail world. It is an ingredient in every cocktail that you put out. Whether or not you realize it or not, water is part of what you're doing. So not only are you making something cold, you're slightly diluting it when you're um, chilling it in either by either shaking or stirring, whichever method you use. And when do you shake? The rule of thumb is if it's going to be cloudy at the end of its process. So if you're going to use lemon juice, if you're going to use um, olive brine, like a dirty martini, if you're going to use cream or egg white in any way whatsoever, shake it because you're simply trying to get it cold. That agitation then helps it out. And with things like egg white, it helps out because you're, um, the aeration that you're kind of adding into that um, 
is little bubbles that's then, you know, making the foam that you're uh, causing the drink. And then same thing with lemon juice, you know. You're kind of, you know, I think it's oxidation that's happening. That's not the right term. There's a term that's happening whenever the, the mm-hmm. air is mixing with uh, with the citrus. Yeah, it's... it's Sciencey stuff. Sciencey thing, yeah. Yeah, there's something happened that... Uh, yeah, anyway... Um, it's so it's important then a drink that's going to be clear like a Manhattan or like a, a traditional martini um, you, you don't want to agitate that too much by shaking it because you are like I say adding little bubbles which adds um, a lack of clarity here clouding up the whole thing and did you say what's in the purple nurple yes it's uh, old Tom gin so Hammond's old Tom gin um, a Concord grape infused Dolan Blanc Aperol orange bitters so you take vermouth and you infuse it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm. it's a, uh, yeah, it's a. I like that. I love vermouth. Vermouth is Dolan Blanc jam. is one of my favorites. Um, it's like a clear, sweet vermouth, if you will. Um, really, really lovely. Uh, but like I say, grapes, and particularly Concord grapes, that really heavy, like, Concord grape flavor just goes so well. It gives this really kind of jammy kind of quality. So how do you do, so you buy a bottle of Dolan's vermouth, you what then buy Concord grapes, mush them up, and put them in there, or how do you? What do you do? Yeah, essentially, you know, essentially that's what we do. So we take a mason jar. Mason jars are kind of the key to making all of our infusions, or where everything starts with, because we're going to sous vide it to speed up the infusion process. Um, so we'll take a mason jar, fill it probably quarter to half away up with um, Concord grapes, and then muddle that down. Top it off with uh, the spirit we want to use. In this particular instance, it's Dolan Blanc. Um, and then infuse that in a sous vide bath for about an hour to two hours at 135 degrees. Let it cool down, strain off the thing, voila, you have this beautiful, bright purple color. And that's where the color in the cocktail is coming from. That's from the, um, everything else in it is, well, Aperol has got a little bit of orangeness to it. Uh, but yeah, so that's how that's uh, ended up. That is amazing. Is the purple nurple on your menu now? It is currently on the uh, on our current full menu. And what about the um, the cocktail that Francisco developed? I, I can't say it. Say it. Say Frida it. Kahlo cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> no, say the sex. No, one. the Palabra, Palabra de Kahlo. Oh yes. Palabra de Kahlo. Uh, yes. yes, it is on the menu as well. Um, yeah, and, uh, October first it was our run date on that, so it's been rolling for uh, be rolling probably till about. Oh, I would say mid-November at least, if not maybe a little so bit So I have more. a suggestion for that title. I'm excited to hear All right, that. cool. I would say I would go with Boca de Calo. Oh, Frida's mouth. Right. Yeah. It's her, it's still her last word coming yeah. from, from her mouth. Ah. Hmm. E- easier to say. That's true. Yeah, but I think most people would be able to pronounce that. <laughs> and that takes away all the fun for me. So I'm going to go ahead and say Fine. Palabra it is. Fine. <laughs> all right. What's the uh, what's the third cocktail that you have tonight? Uh, well, we brought two others. We brought uh, one of Cisco's um, returning favorites to the menu called Spirited Away. And we brought the Black and Blue Manhattan, kind of our, our flagship cocktail. Okay. So if you haven't been to Denmark and had their Black and Blue Manhattan, then you are really missing out um it is my favorite cocktail on their menu if you don't like manhattans you will love this cocktail i think um if you want to describe the black and blue manhattan because i've already had that i'm being selfish right now so if you want to talk about it and then make us the other cocktail 
No, perfect. The black and blue Manhattan is a play on the traditional Manhattan. Um, it is um, what we call uh, splitting the base on. So Manhattan is um, two ounces of bourbon, an ounce of, uh, of some type of sweet uh, vermouth, and then three to four dashes of bitters. Um, what I did was take the uh, sweet vermouth portion and split that apart in half. The other half is then a blueberry shrub. So we make a blueberry shrub out of a white balsamic vinegar. So a shrub, if you don't know, is a drinking vinegar. It's from the American colonial times, kind of a holdover, a way that they were able to preserve the flavors of the season. So they would take um, fruit and soak it into a uh, vinegar and then mix that vinegar mixture with sugar and make a drinking liquor out of it, li liquid out of it and top it with soda. That's what a shrub is. So we take about a half ounce of that mixed with a half ounce of that Dolan uh, sweet vermouth, two ounces of bourbon, a couple of dashes of black walnut bitters, and the combination of those things is really magical. Shrubs have this really great bright acidity to them. Um, so the blueberries, and then it's a, a balsamic vinegar too, so it has this really kind of bright loveliness to it. Um, uh, the black walnut bitters then gives it this really kind of earthy groundedness to it. So it's this really kind of great contrast of flavors between these bright acidic notes and these really deep contrasty like black walnut earthy notes that I think is really lovely. It's a, it's a fabulous cocktail. So what's, what's the, uh, what's spirited the away is uh Cisco's creation. It's a uh, really awesome. I, I didn't think it would, I didn't think it would go at first. Um, I was, uh, in, in camp, uh, you can't put a $15 cocktail on the menu because <laughs> um, it, you know, has a toky Japanese whiskey. So it's kind of pricey. Oh, I, it, think you, I think you can do it. Yeah, no, yeah. We, we did. It's, it's been on for four, four. This is what the fourth iteration of the menu yeah. has been on. Yeah. So, and as an anime fan, I yes. love the name. So thank you. Yeah. So Great reference. Yeah. So, and I think it's, uh, it, it's kind of an example of inspiration comes from a bunch of different places. Sometimes you know exactly where you're going. Sometimes you kind of figure it out along the way. Um, for me, this one uh, was uh, started with a conversation with a buddy of mine who's a chef up in New York. And um, he was talking to me about umeboshi. And I was like, what are umeboshi? And umeboshi are these salted, pickled... Um, you, they're called that Japanese apricots or Japanese plums. And they are uh, about as close to inedible as you can get. I mean, they are really, really tough yeah, to make anything work with. <laughs> they're an acquired taste definition of it. I mean, it is really, really uh, difficult. But uh, what I discovered is, is that this ume, which is related to, uh, like, again, you'll see them called Japanese plums, Japanese apricots, because they're in that family. And they're this kind of third fruit that grows in Japan that's not an apricot, it's not a plum, but it's right there. But it's really, really tart. It's really, really savory. And while it's called ume, and it's not related to the uh, etymology of umami, it is a very umami kind of flavor. But I discovered a liqueur that is made in Japan uh, called umeshu. So it's a sweet that retains a little bit of that flavor. And then I kind of, I've always wanted to do a Japanese whiskey cocktail. So things kind of took, uh, took flight from there. And um, I tried to use a lot of Japanese ingredients to try to kind of get that theme going. So we've got a yuzu honey. We've got toki uh, Japanese whiskey. We've got a little bit of the umeshu, uh, a yuzu honey syrup, a yuzu tincture to get the high notes of yuzu, um, and a bitter melon functions as the uh as the bitters so a bitter melon tincture functions as the bitters and um i kept on trying to make it a highball because that's how everybody wants to drink japanese whiskey but i hate whiskey highballs 
So a, a good rule of thumb is, is don't try to riff on a drink that you don't like. Because every time I made one, I was like, I don't really like this. That's um, true. And uh, so I really, I, I went back to kind of like that Wisconsin old fashioned or that old fashioned that we were all drinking before the cocktail kind of renaissance happened with soda water or Sprite and a lot of muddled stuff. So the yuzu honey syrup is kind of like muddled fruit. Uh, we do a little splash of soda, a little green tea as well. So it reads just kind of like a little bit of a stretched old fashioned. Wow, it sounds amazing. So we're going to take one last break, make one more cocktail, and uh, we'll be back. Cool. Cheers. And we're back with the um, Black and Blue Manhattan and the... what Spirited is Spirited Away. Spirited Away. So black and blue Manhattan is my all-time favorite. Thank you, thank you. So I'm going to try this one, Japanese whiskey, which I love. And you you don't see many, wow. I don't think I've ever seen any Japanese whiskey wow. cocktails in the city. You, I mean, I've seen a few. I think uh, Curio definitely had one there for a little while. I think. Blind, I think Seth at Blind Lady had one for a minute too, but it's just That's it's delicious. it's price so it's much. price points a little rough. It's not like it's almost not mixing price. I mean, it's you know it, it's pushing the upper li- limit of what because you know once you start adding other ingredients and those kind of things, you know you're you're pushing a you know yeah. fifteen to twenty dollar cocktail. That's good. It's really good. Oh, so the price of this cocktail is fifteen dollars. Yep, I would pay that. Thank you. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not kidding. I have been surprised at how many people have really resonated with that cocktail. It has probably over the last couple of menus, it's been one of our consistent. I mean, we all, one of the fun things is, you know, we all author cocktails. So we all um, kind of compete with each other as to whose cocktail does the best off of which menu. Um, it's one of the kind of the fun competition things that we do. Uh, the Spirit Away is definitely one of the... Um, uh, probably top 15, uh, and that's including even classics, not just our house concoctions, because the old fa- we sell more old fashions than anything. You know, right. Moscow Mule's in the top five, you know what I mean? Those kind of classics are, you know, but our house cocktails are way up there. Black and Blue is always in the top, you know, 10. I think, you know, this was in the top 10 or 15. And one of the things that I really love about this cocktail, and Cisco's cocktails in general, is this really great story that happens with them. When you start to really talk to him about it, you start to understand, you know, all of these like subtle things that he thought about and these kind of all these different subtle threads that he pulled together into a cohesive cocktail somehow. So there's this whole story that's happening with this cocktail. And that's true of almost every cocktail. I think that you've presented, you've had this really kind of unique set of flavors um, and this really kind of unique story or reason that you got to this solution um, and understanding how you got to that solution has always been really fun for me to kind of watch. Well, we are truly blessed to have Denmark in our great city because well, you. you guys just do an amazing job. And uh, it's it's a wonderful experience, not just hospitality wise, but cocktail wise and um it's it's wonderful. Thank you so much. No problem. We are truly blessed to be here in this great city. I mean, you know, this I, I tell people all the time, I, I have one of the best jobs in the world. I listen to awesome music. I make great cocktails and I talk to interesting people all the time. I couldn't ask for a better life. Awesome. We're just glad that, Gary, you found your calling and 
Francisco, you found your second calling. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Gary, if our guests want to, if our listeners want to visit Denmark, when, what are your hours? We are open every day except Sunday. Sunday we rest uh, from five o'clock until close throughout the week, Monday through Thursday. That's, you know, around 11 o'clock on the weekends. That's around one o'clock. And do you have a happy hour? We do. It's uh, five to six thirty every day, even Saturday when we are open. And that's $2 off any cocktail, $1 off any beer, food, or wine. Wonderful. Listeners, get over to Denmark and have one of the many cocktails that we've sampled tonight. Or more. Or more. Gato, Francisco, thank you so much for coming tonight. That's it for our episode um, brought to you by the Columbus Craft Cocktail Tour. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us, review us, tell all of your friends. Please also check out the Columbus Craft Cocktail Tour at columbuscraftcocktailtour.com. Denmark is on our tour, so definitely check out our Short North Cocktail Tour. Go online and you'll find our dates and tickets. Thanks to our producer, Greg Hansberry, who also produces a podcast called Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis, which is a podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Check that out. Um, original music for our podcast was composed and performed by the biographer. And please remember to drink responsibly, tip appropriately, and be cocktail curious. Cheers. 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 Skull. <laughs>